You're going to learn today. You're going to learn today. All right, all right, all right. Abolition. 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 Some men came to see the general just the other day. They call themselves uh, abolitionists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They say that this, uh, this pers- person in Philadelphia called Thomas Paine sent them. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what they said? What they said? They said that they're going to free all the Negroes. Yeah. That's the way it's going to come. It's going to come through their, their freedom, through their work. During the war, we met some abolitionists in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, 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 in Massachusetts uh-huh. and also uh, in, uh, in New Jersey. And them, ab- them abolitionists, well, they got a plan for freeing the Negroes. Billy, I'm with you. I think this is the way that we're going to get our freedom. Let them abolitionists Let them work their man.
Abolition. Abolition. You just heard Colonial Slaves Discuss Freedom. That's Freedom Staple Singers. I'll take you there. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly online radio broadcast with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, 5 Mountain, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org and on all major streaming platforms, including Amazon Music. My name is Yusuf Hassan. I'm blasting off from my mother's dining room this week. I am in Harford County, Maryland, a few minutes uh, just north of Baltimore. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. Peace, Yusuf. I'm here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center. It's always um, streaming live on the birthday of one of today's great abolitionists, Yusuf Hassan. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you so much. It has been a, it's been a great day. Uh, I got to have dinner. <laughs> got to have dinner with my parents. You know, both are of whom are slavery abolitionists. You know, so it's just great being able to say that that my parents are slavery abolitionists. So mm-hmm. it's just tremendous, just tremendous. So last week we were joined by formerly incarcerated and exonerated activist Marcus Kelly to discuss the slavery abolition bill in Nevada, which was Assembly Joint Resolution, or AJR 10. 2024, Nevada citizens will have the opportunity to abolish slavery in that state for the first time with a simple vote. Tonight, we are honored to be joined by Mr. Juneteenth himself, Jamil Basil Bradley, the organizer and founder of South Carolina's Juneteenth. Joy Fest, one of the largest Juneteenth events in the United States. In this two-episode set, so this week and next week, we'll be joined by organizers of national Juneteenth events and a member of the California Reparations Task Force, two topics that would normally indicate a post-slavery society, and yet both of these organizers are slavery abolitionists. We believe their unique perspectives will help others gain understanding of the issues surrounding modern legal slavery in a nation hell-bent on pushing a false narrative of full emancipation and absolute abolition. Can we celebrate, commemorate, elevate Juneteenth as a national holiday while still recognizing the critical need for slavery abolition in today's society? Well, tune in. You're here. Tune in and find out. Uh, Max, before we jump into tonight's topic, uh, great opening track, brother. Uh, Thank you. Any comments? And if you want to give us a rundown on, I know your week has been hectic. I've been away, so I haven't been much help. So uh, you bring us yeah. a recap of uh, your last week. I-, I was loving the intro, of course. The abolitionists do have a plan, um, and we are working that plan. As a matter of fact, I've been a little bit stressed out over the plan. You know, uh, we've been struggling with Louisiana because the, as you heard several weeks ago, in their own testimony, mm-hmm. these uh, representatives out there, for some reason, insist on having uh, forced labor. They insist on having uh, a way to exploit inmates 
through free labor projects, and they insist on continuing mm-hmm. to sentence people to hard labor. It's only two states right. that do that, them and Arkansas, that sentence people to hard labor. And we want them to stop doing that, you know. Um, pr- prison right. is the punishment. Uh, prison is supposed to be rehabilitative and the punishment. That free working, free labor stuff, involuntary servitude stuff is extra, and it's a crime that they're committing. And uh, it's been so intent, intense that over the weekend, the Congress met to discuss this issue on Saturday and today. Um, so mm-hmm. they're working out trying to force Louisiana to have some kind of exception to the exception. Um, we wanted mm-hmm. pure language, which we got in the Senate, and the last step is the House. Right. And the House is the ones that want this labor, free labor to continue on. Uh, so we're waiting to hear what it is they came up with. We sent a couple of our own uh, things that we felt would be satisfactory for us, <clears throat> but we'll see what mm-hmm. happens. So in the coming days, we'll have a House vote, and if it passes, Louisiana will be on the ballot for 2023. Um, so that's awesome right there. It's been a hell of a fight, y'all. You just don't know the stuff that goes on in the backgrounds. Wow. Uh, California right. is also moving forward, too. You know, they uh, passed their committee hearing recently, so um, they're at this point, their author of the bill has cancer and she's going through treatment. So she's not able to, to uh, put in the work that she needs to put in or she feels she needs to put in. So they're getting someone else who will be able to cover that spot, but it looks like California is moving forward too. So in a off year, cause you know, we've always done it in uh, even years, uh, 2018, 2020, 2022 and 2023, mm-hmm. we're going to have several States on the ballot. God willing. So that's pretty awesome. Are willing. That's big. Yeah, that's very big. Yeah, man. Uh, my man Curtis Davis is the lead organizer for the Decarcerate Louisiana, and he's the one that's been behind a lot of this work there in Louisiana. He was like, Max, if we don't get the language that we need on there, what are we going to do? Uh, he, I'm like, maybe Louis, he, cause he said, because if we don't get it through this time, this is the second time with it going towards the ballot. If we don't get it on this time, they're never going to do it again. And I'm like, well, maybe right. uh, Louisiana be like South Carolina and Texas <laughs> be among the last ones to actually do this. They got to wait for everybody around them to do it, to get it done, because those states ain't trying to hear it either. But yeah, um, right. we're going to try our best to get it done. And it, and it seems as though the rest of the country is watching them. They'll see how the they world. can react. Yeah, because the here in North, you know, in North Carolina... North Carolina was watching Tennessee, and they wanted to use Tennessee's language. Now they're catching on, and they're saying, hey, we can backdoor this thing so we can do something, quote, unquote, symbolic and not really do anything at all. So that's their right. trick that they're trying to run on everybody now. Yeah, they learned how to try to make this thing symbolic, and we're not having any of that. Uh, but we're going to, you know, we got to – we got a fight ahead of us, and we knew that from the very beginning. Um, you know, you sure. and I didn't just step into this yesterday. Uh, you know, right. we, we, I, we've been doing this for a very, very long time, many years. And to get to this point right. still is light speed. It's it took amazing. us almost 150 years. Uh, it, was, it took us 250 years to get to the 13th Amendment. 
And it took us 150 some odd years to get to this point. So, you know, that's right. light speed as far as I'm concerned. If we could solve this problem in a decade and start working on bringing our people back to full mental and physical health and economic health, I would be satisfied. For sure. For sure. Well, let's go, let's go ahead and bring in our guest, man. Um, I know he's we yeah. on the phone. I'd love to hear what he had to say. Uh, I've been rolling with Brother uh, Jamal for some years now. He was one of the first voices to speak up on uh, during the launch of the Abolish Slavery National Network. He was there with us from the very beginning. He's also been doing Juneteenth events now for years, several years, and it's become bigger and bigger and bigger. And this year, it looks like it's going to be the biggest one ever. So let's go ahead and bring in our guest, uh, Jamal Basil Bradley organizer and founder of SC's Juneteenth Joy Fest, one of the largest Juneteenth events in the U.S. Welcome, brother. What's happening? And welcome to Abolition right. Welcome to the show. Peace and blessings. Shalom. Salam alaikum. I greet you in the few tongues of our ancestors. That's uh, right. Because there, there were many. There were many. Um, I, I just had the privilege of visiting uh, Beaufort, South Carolina, down at the Penn Center. Uh, one of the many institutions that came up after uh, the, the Civil War to educate us. And uh, the young lady was down there telling us about how they came up with the Gullah Geechee language, saying that mm. they had many dialects uh, on mm. board those slave ships, and they didn't have a way to communicate. So they created the Gullah Geechee language so that they could communicate. And that just speaks to uh, the resilience of our people. We are certainly a creative people, man. Uh, we find ways sure. to overcome. Um, and yeah, imagine that because they were bringing people from different nations. You know, we say Africa, different but Africa is a continent. Yeah, we say it like it's a whole, like everybody spoke <laughs> the same thing, did the same thing. But it's it's, it's the largest continent, uh, you know, inhabited continent. And you know, it, it was a bunch of different dialects. But uh, always appreciate a history lesson. Uh, my wife and I have been hosting the Juneteenth events for uh, since 2016. Uh, started talking about Juneteenth in 2016. That's when I first learned about it. I've uh, been hosting events since in South Carolina, the state to start the doggone war to protect that institution of slavery <laughs> uh, here in the Midlands. And uh, I, I got to say, even though I, I know that the fight still continues, it is an honor to uh, celebrate that moment in history, which is a stair step leading to others. I, I like how you describe that. You know, it would be the equivalent would be voting the day that the fugitive slave laws were uh, ended. You know what I mean? Like there's points in right. history where things change dramatically. And that was one of them. It forced the uh, slavers to find a new way to do things, which was, uh, less broad than they had been doing it. Because up until that point, uh, we were literally human chattel, born and died as property. Our children born and died as property, property. sold off as owner. And so all of that ended, but it didn't end slavery. It, it did end that, and that was horrible um, by itself. As a matter of fact, in South Carolina, where we're at, that was one of the breeding states where they would breed us after the transatlantic slave trade had ended. So they couldn't get any more. Oh, man. You, you know, South Carolina had the harshest everything, the harshest slave codes, all of that stuff. 
uh, people mm-hmm. were asking uh, during Juneteenth celebrations that they have in the past, uh, you know, in Texas, Oklahoma, and other places that they celebrated this event, which there were many uh, emancipation celebrations across the country. I know a lot of people think, oh, well, Abe signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Well, a proclamation ain't, don't mean nothing. I got two of them <laughs> in my house right now from the city and the, uh, and the uh, local government. So they, they don't really mean anything. It didn't mean a thing until uh, that war was won. You can proclaim to the heavens that you're the baddest man on the planet, but if somebody kicked you behind, that, that makes that statement not true. But uh, those those, those uh, emancipation celebrations took place all over the country where Union victories uh, took part. Uh, in fact, I was, again, down at the Penn Center in Buford uh, where you know some of the first shots of the Civil War first started. And she was explaining how even before uh, the emancipation, I mean, even before uh, the 13th Amendment and everything like that, that they were free. And I was like, well, how how was that? She said, well, you know, we were considered as property. And when those soldiers got down to Mitchellville and all of those small places down there in Buford and in the low country, when those soldiers got down there, the slave owners abandoned their homes and their property which would have been slaves as well. So when they abandoned them, it made them free. <laughs> Freer at least, right? <laughs> free, free, like freer, freer, yeah. freer. We, we do know, we do know. Vote. Yeah, 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 yeah. There, there, there are, we do know that, you know, uh, and, and just to, you know, keep the main thing, the main thing to talk about, you know, Juneteenth, again, that's a step in the direction. Each generation has their their uh mm-hmm. their call. Uh our our ancestors, they took care of their business. Because it wasn't honest aid that freed the slaves. It was the two hundred and fifty thousand people who looked like you and I Tell who them. joined the army and got in mm-hmm. and went down there and freed themselves because what people don't know is that the Speak on was it, brother. Losing Speak the war. on it. They was losing the war. It was our ancestors that, and I'm talking about men, even though the proclamation didn't free the people who were so-called free in the North who were still slaves and servants, it was only for the Confederate states. Right. For right. states in rebellion only. Yeah, states in rebellion. And we know that he didn't have any intention on freeing slaves. That was not right. his reason for, for signing that. He said if he could save the Union without freeing any slaves, he would. But that wasn't possible. The ancestors wouldn't have it any other way. And those were men who were considered free at that time who joined the Union Army and came down to the southern states, the states in rebellion, and fought and help to free their brothers and sisters and cousins who had been scattered uh, during the right. time of the Great Ma'afa. So uh, is it a, a time worthy of celebration? I absolutely think so. Is it the end of the struggle? Hell no. Let me ask you. Know after that, no, we know, we, know, we know after that there was, you know, they had to fight to end, you know, segregation. There was civil rights. We know they were fighting the, the vote. Every generation is going to have their fight, and we have ours in this day and age because they're, they're putting brothers and sisters who look like us behind bars in record number, using that exemption clause uh, in full effect. So uh, I, I do believe it's a moment that uh, has earned uh, a, a day worthy of celebration, 
But is it the end-all, be-all? No. You know, I used to wonder to myself for years why the U.S. never recognized a single day in a holiday that indicated the end of slavery or the emancipation or the 13th Amendment's passage. It just there was nothing. And this was supposed to be the rebirth of the America, you know, its second mm-hmm. founding, an incredibly important time. But they never recognized any of that. It was always something quiet. You might hear speeches in Congress or whatever on certain days, but nothing in the way of a holiday until 2020 when we introduced the abolition amendment. You know, on the same exact day that we introduced an amendment to a joint resolution to create a 28th Amendment that would negate the slavery exception clause of the 13th Amendment, Juneteenth became a holiday. Let me ask you, Jamal, when when you first started your Juneteenth events in 2016, were you aware of the 13th Amendment and its exception clause? I was aware of the amendments, but I was not aware of the effects of the exception clause until I mm. had the opportunity to get to know you uh, and then dig a little bit deeper. Uh, you, you know, I, I see you, you, you share a lot that people can't say that they don't know now. And once you share certain information, it's kind of hard to walk away from, right? So once you hear somebody say that and bring some light to you, and it's only, uh, I know you like to use the term willful ignorance. Uh, mm-hmm. Once you hear those, once you hear that, once you, you receive knowledge and light of certain situations, uh, I, I don't know how many people are like me. I dig a little deeper. And, and I look at it and, you know, through the, the work that uh, the organization is doing, uh, the Abolish Slavery National Network, uh, I, I had the privilege of seeing the effects of what that exception has done to our communities. And it goes beyond just serving time and everything like that because they write other backward stuff. After you serve your time, you can't go to your mama house if she on housing. You can't go to your grandma's house if she on housing and things like that. So I, I think it's just, you know, blatant attacks on not just African-American people, but sometimes it almost seems specific to African-American men. Yes, sir. Um, you know, <clears throat> I feel... You know, I feel like uh, God has blessed me to be able to speak with people like you and others across the country and have some form of impact, you know, and you're right. It is really simple. Um, Once you receive new information that changes things, you change your mind. (laughs) I don't know what else you're supposed to do. You know what I mean? You don't stand on a hill and die on it when, you know, the information has changed things, you know, and I do believe that this is a point in history that we can uh, used to further educate, inspire, come together as a community, like we do on the 4th of July. Everybody and their brother in this country knows that on the 4th of July in 1776, Africans were still slaves in the United States. There was no freedom for mm-hmm. us on 4th of July, but 4th of July, you grew up in our community. <laughs> exactly. His speech broke it down, you know what I mean? But nonetheless... Right. Yeah. We take that opportunity to come together. If you're going to give us a free paid day off, we're going to bring our families together, and we're going to just have I unity, almost, uh, at least there. In, in the regards of uh, Juneteenth, I almost feel uh, the sentiment of uh, Karen Hunter and a few others who, you know, I wish they hadn't made it a federal holiday. I, I wish it would have stayed out. 
But it did, yeah. in, in making it a federal holiday, yeah. it did shed so it, much it, light it on bad moments. Yeah, and, and it does shed some light about that moment because so many companies, if you, you know, if, if any of the other organizers like myself in, you know, different cities, so many other companies that, you know, have uh, African-American employees and things like that have uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion teams. So you get opportunities mm-hmm. to share not just what Juneteenth is, but what that time is and what that moment in history represents. And hopefully people not doing what they did in Greenville and using this opportunity to uh you know I'm you glad know, you yeah like I'm it. glad you brought up Greenville cuz I was I was definitely going to ask you about the Greenville situation and we oh, know man, what uh my Yeah, we know what they love doing Instagram. <laughs> we know what they love doing with holidays here. You know, it's going to be the Juneteenth mattress sale eventually. Yeah, they just, yeah. They just turn, yeah, yeah, they just turn holidays, these holidays into commercial, you know, they commercialize them. They capitalize them. You know, we, yeah, so we, we, you know, we'll start seeing, you know, all these things being sold in Walmart and other places, you know, not really capturing oh, the bro, essence had, of Juneteenth. Yeah, so I want to get some I feedback had companies, from you on that. I, I done had companies from China reach out to me about trying to purchase the name that I have my mm. organization, the South Carolina wow. Juneteenth Freedom Fest. So wow. there's definitely going to be a push to monetize the holiday. The thing is, what we have to do, and I, I was telling my wife this, organizations like the NGOF, uh, and I, I, that's, you know, somebody I reached out to uh, when I first started, you know, the, the celebration here in the Midlands was uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Ronald Myers. Uh, before he passed away, I had the, had the privilege of speaking with him, but we th- we know that's what they do uh, by you know the brother uh, the the white guy from Walmart trying to make the ice cream last year and you know getting the backlash from that. So they're gonna try to monetize off of it. I just wish that the organizations who were way ahead of the curve had a plan if they were gonna champion for it to be a federal holiday like, you know, uh, uh, trademarking and everything like that to make sure that there is no outside because you know they're going to do it. You know they're going to do it. I, and I, right. I'm just waiting for clubs and things like that here. You know, the strip club going this half-off tip out just because it's Juneteenth weekend. Right. And uh, uh, buy one, get one free drinks at the bar and all kind of stupid <laughs> stuff, you know what I'm saying, that don't have right. anything to do with it. But that's where people who understand and know history have the opportunity to shine. We know our people, some of our people like shiny things, and they don't care nothing about the history of it. They just want to churn up. Um, and when we first started the celebration, that was the sentiment. Man, let's have a mansion pool party, and, you know, invite such and such and such. Wow. And, uh, let's churn up like they do for wow. Cinco de Mayo. And, and, and my wife and I were going, you know, this is the opportunity to do so much more than that because we understand that it's a little bit more significant than that, and there are still things that we need to work on. One of the things we need to work on is, you know, uh, financial literacy, home ownership, and things like that. Things to get mm-hmm. financial freedom so that we can start working on the other things. Once you get us, once you get us to the point where we don't have, where we have, where we have as a community, our economic base, 
then we can focus on our souls and things like that. But if we ain't taking care of people's immediate needs with our organizations, and I don't care what your nonprofit is, then it's all in vain. And we can't, we can't advance. Um, Jamal, what I want to do is take a moment to play a little bit of a track that promotes your event on uh, your Juneteenth event. You got some pretty big names there, including Yolanda Adams and uh, what's it, Ty, Ty Bennett. Uh, so the festival is a weekend, um, Saturday, uh, June 17th, 18th. we, we, 17th? we start off, uh, the 17th, we start off All with right. a, a free event at Sabre Park. Then there's a con- a gospel concert at the Colonial Life Arena, uh, Todd Tribbett, Yolanda Adams, Ja'Kalen Carr, some of the biggest names in gospel, uh, will be at the Colonial Life Arena. And then Monday is the Juneteenth Parade, where we've invited, you know, dozens, if not, you know, uh, tens of dozens of black businesses to come and uh, share those things, share their business or, you know, just come and show what it is that they're doing in the community now. Because awesome. uh, though Juneteenth is a moment in history, again, we have our call to action now. What are we doing to change minds, hearts, and situations right now? Amen right. to that. So mm-hmm. that being said, I'm going to go ahead and get into this first track. Uh, it's Joy Fest 2023 ad, and it'll be followed, or it's featuring Yolanda Adams, and it's going to be followed by her song, Still I Rise, by Yolanda Adams. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. Our guest today is Jamal Basil Bradley. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. Hey guys, it's Yolanda Adams and I am asking you to come out and see me for Joy Fest. It's a Juneteenth Joy Fest in Columbia, South Carolina. Kalante Gap, Leandria Johnson, Kaylin Cox, I forgot about Ty, and yours truly, and so many more. Go to Ticketmaster.com right now and get your ticket. I want to see you June 18th, Columbia, South Carolina. But time will 
abolition. Abolition. Today. Wow. You just heard the ad for Joy Fest uh, 2023 ad occurring on June 18, 2023 in Columbia, South Carolina. It's featuring Yolanda Adams, and it was followed up by her song, Still I Rise. Welcome back to Abolition Day. Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. And our guest this evening is Jamal Basile Bradley, the organizer and founder of South Carolina's Juneteenth Joy Fest, which is really an entire weekend uh, of events. And we'll make sure that the guest uh, repeats that for us later on, gives the dates, times, and locations once again. Uh, We'll pass it to you, uh, Brother Jamal for your feedback on, you know, such a beautiful song for sure. And I guess we can talk about, like, how it's, you know, the things that you had to overcome to be able to put this together. Wow. What I've overcome. (laughs) Well, I I can tell you I hadn't been Juneteenth Jamal all my life. (laughs) Uh, I've overcome overcome quite a few things. It was – uh, after a home invasion uh, in 2014 uh, that somewhat traumatized, traumatized my family, uh, after I realized the things that uh, my lifestyle uh, was bringing to a woman that I loved and married, uh, my beautiful beautiful wife, Rabia. Uh, Who's a great baker, realized, by the way. we got to make sure we say yeah, that she's I, a great hey, baker. Hey, Yusuf, I was going to ask you, was, it, was that true? That, you know what I'm saying? Was yeah, that's me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, but after, you know, uh, my my previous lifestyle brought a little bit of trauma to my family. So I I decided, you know, and talking to, you know, my teenager and her teenage daughters, you know, uh, about uh, the lifestyle and the trauma that it brings to our youth, which right now are struggling with, you know, identity and so much more. Uh, I definitely want to become a champion for true history being taught in schools um and you know things like that uh led me to start doing this celebration and a whole lifestyle change uh and and i'm excited about that um uh and as far as the gospel fest uh the juneteenth joy fest uh, with all those gospel artists we know that it was by faith uh, that our ancestors were able to stand and, and, and survive centuries, centuries of uh, uh, hardships. And uh, I just want to uh, highlight, you know, that, that faith that uh, brought everybody, you know, through where uh, uh, I grew up in the church. But there was a song my grandfather used to sing, you know, come this far by faith. And, it, and, it, and it's a part in there that they say, you know, we can't turn around. We've come this far and we can't turn around. Uh, we as a people have come far from, and even over the last 150 years, considering where we were, the 350 years prior to that have made uh, tremendous strides. And I say 350 years, I know people get uh, 16, 19 mixed up as the time that, you know, and that's a great documentary, great book and all of that. But uh, South Carolina, if anyone knows any history about South Carolina, and you can find this, even South Carolina tells you this on a, uh, in their libraries and you can go 
to uh, certain research centers and findings. When the Spanish tried mm-hmm. to settle in uh, South Carolina in 1523, in 1523, mm-hmm. they say that it was natives and blacks that rebelled and 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 ran them off from that time. So mm. uh, for anybody out there who has the belief that all we did was take uh, slavery and accept it and lay it down, we've been mm. fighting this and continue to fight this uh, for generations and hundreds of years, and we won't stop until there is a bright future for our youth and other generations to come. Uh, yeah. Our celebration starts. I'm sorry, go ahead, Max. I know continue, you got a profound question. <laughs> continue, man. I'll say this. No, sir. No, sir. No, sir. I'll let the elder go. Uh, well, you know, I'm glad you brought up about the struggles that our ancestors went through. And it really bothers me when I see people put out these memes saying things like, I am not my ancestors. No, you are not. You, you could not survive what <laughs> right. they survived. You couldn't have survived that. <laughs> right. Man, How dare you listen. say that they don't fight back or they took this willingly and things like that. It's just ridiculous. No, you they don't didn't. know anything about it. No, they didn't. You know, there, there's a, a, a drumming, African drumming. There's a, a, a drum, and I can't think of the name of it right now, uh, but they used it, and it's called the talking drum. And here uh, but the in Jim South Bay? Carolina, the djembe drum, the djembe, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the djembe drum was used to communicate for slave rebellions. And there's actually one called Stone Nose Rebellion. Mm-hmm. And after Stone Nose Rebellion, they outlawed drumming in South Carolina. Wow. And that's where you get, and when, when they said we couldn't communicate with the drum, that's where you get, uh, uh, you remember the, uh, uh, my grandfather was from Winsboro, South Carolina, even though I, I was born in Philadelphia and moved down back down here to South Carolina. But uh, he would used to do the hand bone thing where he hit the knee and slap his chest and everything like that. Those were other yeah. things. This, again, these are resilient things that our people did when they said they couldn't. But as far as the festival, one of South Carolina clothes, codes was, the slave codes was, that we couldn't ga- gather in large numbers out of fear mm. of rebellion. Mm-hmm. So if I get the opportunity to gather as many people as I can and talk about our history where they don't want it being taught in schools. Ron DeSantos, I wish you was listening to this so I could tell you go to hell with what you're doing down there in Florida. But uh, it's just so much. They don't even want to talk about slavery now. Oh, it makes my child feel bad. Well, how do you think our children feel not knowing a thing? You're not teaching them a thing about the true history of this country. 1776, you wouldn't even be able to say, uh, celebrate that had it not been for the slaves who fought in the Revolutionary War. Christmas freedom. Yeah, we, 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 we know uh, Brother Kwame told us uh, Christmas Addicts was food for that. But the British <laughs> promised the the British promised freedom as well for uh fighting on their side and they freed right. and they freed thirty thousand formerly enslaved and put them down there in Jamaica and some of the other islands. 
But uh, this thing has been going on for a while, and it doesn't stop because there is a symbol. Juneteenth is a symbol of freedom. It is not the end-all, be-all. We still have a fight. We still have a fight. And if I can do, I, I, would, I, I try to refrain from in any of the things that I post share, I try to refrain from saying that Juneteenth is the day that slavery ended because I know the work that you all are championing, championing for, and uh, I never do anything or try to do anything to go against that to where they say, see, they're not even together on the, this issue. We are together on this issue, That's right. and I myself That's right. uh, am proud to be a member of uh, the Abolished Slavery National Network and to know you, a modern-day abolitionist, uh, championing a cause to continue the fight for freedom. Thank you, brother. Uh, it's a Ubuntu. Uh, I am because you are. You because know? you are. Uh, I got a question. Tribal Rain wants to know. Are, do you have tables available, and how much are they? We are, unfortunately, I, I want to say that Tribal uh, makes beautiful pieces. I've got one that I wear every Juneteenth. Uh, it's an unk with the amethyst in it. She makes beautiful mm-hmm. pieces, but unfortunately, we have we, we have tons of vendors, uh, but registration for all the Juneteenth events is over. Uh, All right. As far as uh, volunteers, uh, we got dozens of volunteers. We have dozens of local performers. Uh, we have tens of dozens of uh, <laughs> uh, vendors that will be out there, including resources for the community because uh, outside of uh, uh, championing the cause for uh, to end modern-day slavery, uh, there are slavery in some other forms, uh, even in the uh, general order that was read during in, in Galveston on Juneteenth mm-hmm. Day. Uh, in that, if you if you break that down, then you know any time a black business a black business opens up, there is a cause for celebration. Because even in that, and in the places where the Union soldiers went to. Uh, I know the general order that was read in Galveston, Texas, says, you know, in, in accordance with the proclamation, you are here by slaves are here by free. But the relationship is to change from slave and master to employer and employee. You gave the man, he gave the guy a different, you just changed his title. <laughs> he changed his title. So anytime someone opens up a business, a business and is fighting to make themselves economically free, where they don't have to rely on another person, uh, and if anyone gets a chance to read Ta-Nehisi Coates' book, uh, The Slave Letters, uh, where you know escaped slaves made it to free states and sent back letters to their uh, enslaved family members, you know, you'll read things like, "Hey, mom, I made it up here." Uh, I'm working for myself now. No longer is someone getting paid for all of my efforts and the things mm-hmm. that I want to enjoy. I can. So, uh, again, is it a moment in history worth celebrating? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I just, I, I wish that 
you know, we had more centers in our communities that, that shared the history so people could have a better understanding. I hear people saying things like there shouldn't be a Black History Month. Black History is 365. Well, not to the so-called dominant culture. These people were saying things like we had no history and culture and that we were uh, mindless beasts roaming around until they came and snatched us up and gave us the opportunity to be civilized through slavery. Yeah, well, I heard that last week. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and, and so you had you had a brother champion a cause to share and, and fight that narrative. There's always going to be a, a, a cause to fight for a worthy within our community. And I'm, I'm glad to know people like yourself that are standing in the gap to be able to do that. You stand on the shoulders, man, of great abolitionists that that made it possible for us to even just be, you know, uh, having this conversation today and doing the, mm-hmm. the, the great things that you're doing and so many others in our community. I know the narrative, uh, it, it pisses me off sometimes. that Nobody's doing anything in the community. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Tons of organizations. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, the narrative always has to be that we're a mindless people with no history, no culture, no education. But there are, again, there are, there are there are thousands of people, and or there are tens of thousands of people, millions of people, uh, organizations out there fighting and championing calls to not just affect our community, but affect other communities as well. Right. That's, that's why I try not to use the word nobody, because <laughs> I can't stand when I'm sitting right there and somebody tells me about what nobody's doing, describing what I'm doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, man, that's a slap in the face to all your work, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's you a slap in the face to wow. all your work. I, I, I don't like that narrative, and we got to change that. We got right. we got to stop saying we. We got to start saying some of us. You know what I'm saying? We got to change right. those mm-hmm. narratives. And I, I'm glad that you have a platform uh, helping to change narratives and, and bringing brothers, you know, like myself on. And I heard you mention that a reparations brother would be coming on. Uh, from California and things like that. I'm glad platforms like this exist uh, for people who are doing work to uh, talk about the things that they are doing. I want to bring the conversation back to another topic for a minute, but I got to do a lead in for it. Okay. Um, Okay. There's an issue going down in South Carolina in Greenville. Right. And it's a whole lot of what, according to the news I'm reading, it's a lot of backstabbing that ends up with gentrification. So there's this organization that had been using this Peace Center. It's a $36 million uh, expansion that focused on music and stuff. They've been using it for Juneteenth events. And then a new group came in, Juneteenth GVL, and took that spot from them. And then this same organization, Juneteenth GVL, started putting these banners all up around South Carolina. <laughs> and they depicted wow. people of different races. And there was one in particular that even resulted in a lawsuit uh, from the original organization where they had two white people on the banner talking about Juneteenth 2023. Uh, Let me know what your feelings on that are. I'll say this. Uh, I I won't, you know, go in on the brother because he got enough. He caused enough trouble for himself. Uh, even when he doubled down on explaining why he chose right. to do it, I'll, I'll say this: 
Juneteenth uh, highlights a moment in history about African Americans. It's for African Americans. Can all those mm-hmm. races contribute and celebrate? Yes, they can contribute and celebrate. Is it about them? Do we have to make them the face of it? Absolutely not. No. Are, are there are there <laughs> any black <laughs> leprechauns? Are there any photos of black leprechauns on St. Patrick's Day? <laughs> not the black leprechauns. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm just saying, like, come on, man, we gotta be realistic. He said he was doing it. He said he was doing it to be inclusive. Or you can be inclusive by having conversations with him, but I wouldn't do that. It's too new, even though it's been celebrated for over 150 years. It's too new to too many people. They need to have an understanding before you can even have certain discussions about that. So uh, it's just bad taste, and I, for one, feel like it's a publicity stunt going wrong because every time someone has tried to do that, it's ended well. And unfortunately, it's happened twice in South Carolina. You know, that's it, it a, didn't just happen in Greenville. They had it in Walterboro where they had the white what? country singer headlining. I mean, this dude got photos with, you know, people with the Confederate flag and all that stuff. And I'm like, how did they even choose him to be a headliner? Oh, we're trying to be inclusive. This is going to take everybody. Yeah, what you're saying is we can't do a thing. And and I'm saying this, but we we have tons of white-owned organizations who are sponsors of our event. And for years, my wife and I were – doing the event by ourselves, funding the event by ourselves. Can you have large celebrations that people want to come to? Sure you can. Without any help from any outside sources, sure you can. But people want to understand what it is. They want to know what it is. It's an opportunity for us as organizers, as a community, to share our experiences, our shared experiences, alongside white culture, brown culture, and all the other cultures that come to this country who share and have celebrations that don't include us. There are tons of celebrations or moments in history from other cultures that take place in this country, and they're not putting up black faces. So it's just poor taste on behalf of those organizers. Just poor That's right. taste. No black leprechauns, mm-hmm. no white people represented Juneteenth. <laughs> yeah. Cinco de Mayo. And people were saying these things, well, let's turn up for Juneteenth like we do for uh, St. Patrick's Day. Let's turn up for uh, uh, Juneteenth like we do for Cinco de Mayo. Uh, uh, listen, you can turn up because if you, if you went back and understand the history, 1866, when they, when they all went back to Texas because they all left, a lot of them stayed, but a good bit of them left, hauled behind. Mm-hmm. As soon as they, they were telling them in that general order, it say, oh, but you ought to remain on the plantation. <laughs> Man, this documentation that some of them people ran so fast, he didn't get to finish that speech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With a whole bunch you know of soldiers saying? behind them, they had that opportunity, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, now, now you know, and we know, like, Reconstruction and all of that happened, and, and they pulled all of the Union troops out of the Confederate states and everything like that, and that pretty much ended Reconstruction. Uh, now we don't have a standing army on our back, but we do have a rising number. And the thing that the people who that are going to have to have our backs is each other. we got to get to a place where we look at 
all of the similarities that we have instead of all the division that we have. Oh, they're Muslim. I'm not going over there and listening to that. Oh, they're Christians. I'm not doing that. Oh, they're Hebrews. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting involved with them. Nah, man, them people don't care nothing about all of that stuff you believe in. What they see is your black ass. And if you ain't acting right, they're going to put your black ass in jail. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's how Jim Crow laws <laughs> work, right? right? Yeah, that's how they work. They ain't care nothing about your religion back there. Oh, this mm-hmm. black person, oh, there's three of them. They ain't working chain game. You know, what bothers me about it is even in our celebrations, commemorations, or elevations, we are thrown into a bucket with a whole bunch of other people and issues that, you know, just makes it dilutes everything we're there for. Uh, they do that with our problems. Intersectionality has not really been a friend for us. Uh, we used to have allies, and now everybody's got to have a stake in it, you know what I mean, in order for them to to continue to help. They got to find a way where it affects them. And the same thing in the celebrations. They got to find out how they can play their role. What part can they play? But it always seems to be just black people that they do that to. Like I said, there ain't no black leprechauns. You know what I mean? Um, no, because they know black once they people... get in and you have any, you, and once they get in, and if you have to rely on them to do it, they know they have the power to shut it down. And that's what I mean by we have to we have to have our own backs because ain't no union army going to form to have a second civil war. It's going to be us that has to have each other's back. Right. Um, and I, I got again, enough. we know, we know, Go we know they're going to try to monetize it. We know big companies are, are going to have, uh, uh, man, it's, it's, it's you know, I, I and I don't have a shame in saying there's certain companies and things that I turn down because I don't want it affiliated with it, and I don't want to feel like I have to you know shuck and jive for anybody. Before I before I you know let anybody else control what happens on our stage at Juneteenth or anything like that, man, I go back to getting it out the mud first. <laughs> Same, exactly right, exactly. Um, I feel you on that. Hey, what I want to do is take a music break, and I want to play, you know, we always include music in what we're doing, as well as teaching moments, and this is one. Uh, We have a clip from uh, WUSA where they talk about the 95 bodies that were found in a mass grave in Texas uh, from convict leasing by the Imperial Sugar Company. Um, now, these mass graves have been found all over the country where there was convict lease, where they would work us to death and then bury us. Uh, children, women, the elderly, they didn't care. And that's going to be followed by Brian Jackson's Chains, Black and Blues. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org, with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. Our guest today is Brother. Juneteenth, Jamal Basil Bradley. And we'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Abolition. All right, shifting gears. Bodies believed to be those of 95 black Jim Crow era prisoners forced to perform free labor were unearthed in Sugarland, Texas, as a result of one man's quest to get to the truth. Now, Reginald Moore heard the stories of how Sugarland, a suburb of Houston and home to Imperial Sugar Company, was a sprawling network of sugarcane plantations and prison camps a century ago. From sunup to sundown, convicts were leased by the state to plantation owners 
to work in the fields chopping sugarcane, sometimes until they, quote, drop dead in their tracks, end quote, as the state convention of colored men of Texas complained in 1883. Does that sound familiar? Mm. More research Sugarland slavery and convict leasing history for 19 years and gathered a hunch that the bodies of former slaves and black prisoners were still buried in Sugarland's backyard. He focused his attention on a site called Imperial State Prison Farm, the one that bore the name of the country's premier sugar company. It was there that the discovery of the 95 graves of the two dozen intact skeletons found all had African-American traits, appeared to be muscularly, muscularly built, Many had the same misshapen bones indicative of repetitive hard labor, and they ranged in age from as young as 14 and as old as 70. Now, this is a visceral, unflinching snapshot of the prison industrial complex in its earliest stages. People were buried in mass graves from working themselves to death to enrich the owners of a sugar dynasty, escaping one form of slavery only to be killed by another. Now, the practice was so lethal that it was outlawed in the early 20th century, but it's relevant to this day as the inequities of the criminal justice system are exacerbated when victims are forced to provide labor for pennies on the dollar for large companies and private prisons across the country. And yes, I do mean victims. Moore has volunteered to serve as caretaker for the graves of these men and has vowed to bring meaning to their respective ordeals. Hopefully his work will influence sentencing laws moving forward and prevent future generations of falling back into what's become the 21st century's version of legal slavery.
Abolition. You just heard WSA 9 speaking on the 95 bodies from convict leasing by Imperial Sugar found in Sugarland, Texas, and that was paired with uh, Brian Jackson, and it was Chains, Black, and Blues. And if Brian Jackson sounded a lot like Gil Scott Heron right there, that was his longtime partner. They did many albums together. Welcome back to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org, with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan, with our guest this evening, organizer and founder of South Carolina's Juneteenth Joy Fest, Jamil Basile Bradley. And before we jump back into the conversation, I'd just like to highlight two books, two books that we quote a lot on here, we speak about, and you can find more information about this. One is called One Dies, Get Another. Convict Leasing in the American South, 1866 to 1928, and that's by Matthew J. Mancini. And the other book is Slavery by Another Name, The Reenslavement of Black Americans from the Civil War to World War II, and that's by Douglas A. Blackman. Highly recommend reading these books. They give you the missing link, because a lot of times people miss the link, and this is why they think slavery ended in 1865. Once they learn about convict leasing and how it led into Jim Crow and all of the uh, convict convict leasing, Jim Crow, chain gangs, everything leading up into what's going on today, they cover that missing link over that period. So, Brother Jamal, we want to talk about this right now, the missing link, you know, and I'm sure this conversation comes up a lot when you've had these events, you know, where people have thought that slavery has ended and you have to tell them, no, slavery hasn't ended. We're celebrating a moment in history, but we still have this fight in front of us. So can you speak to that a little bit? Uh, yes, I, I, I was on a, a local show, television show here called uh, Soda City Live, and the, and the young lady, you know, she, she was, you know, trying to control the narrative, and I had to say, you know, well, hold up, that's, that's, not, entirely, that's not entirely true. And again, I, I have this narrative because I've connected with, you know, Brother, Brother Max, Elder Max, uh, and I know now, and a lot of people don't know. And I, I think when we have teachable moments and, and spaces and platforms and things like that, we have to take the opportunity to uh, true history and why moments like, you know, like Juneteenth are significant and what else needs to be done. Again, it's a call for celebration, but it's definitely a call to action because there are many things that plague our community. Uh, and the, the, the convict lease, and when I found out about that, uh, I want to say uh, from Brother Max's research that even Victoria's Secret used uh, convict lease. Right. In South Carolina. Yeah, it's right. Man, South Carolina, and, and, and for a lot of different things, I hope they're not to the last. And I, I, I hope they're not the last to get on board with some of the things that are happening. But a lot of people look to South Carolina for a change. I remember, uh, what was it, when uh, President Biden now 
uh, was championing to be president. A lot of eyes were on South Carolina, um, and it was um, the elder congressman here, uh, Clyburn, who uh, co-signed for him, and he eventually won the state based off of that. But uh, we definitely have uh, a ways to go. And I'll continue to be educated on other things. I'm always a student. So uh, if I can, I'll just let Max talk more about about that (laughs) right now. Well, you know, uh, we have had organizers work with Brother Moore, which you heard on the clip there earlier, uh, rest in peace, uh, here on the program. We did a special broadcast with them uh, where we talked about the convict leasing in detail. And they're like among the foremost experts. I mean, they're right there with the bones. You know what I mean? Uh, doing the work, trying to find out who the, uh, are the descendants of these people who have been put through this hell. And that was the uh, the change from chattel slavery to prison slavery occurring through the convict lease system. And this particular uh, mass grave where they had children and the elderly that were worked to death was right there in Texas where uh, General Granger showed up to say, hey, y'all free. And what people don't know is within months, Texas began using convict leasing. They were like, we're not giving these people up. Hell no. We're going to set up these companies so that they can lease the convicts. And whenever they need more workers, we'll just go out and arrest black people on any old trumped up charge that we could put together. Jim Crow laws, vagrancy laws, pig laws, codes, whatever they needed to do. We weren't guilty. We weren't criminal. We were criminalized and then put into these facilities to be worked to death. Uh, so yeah, yeah, if anybody if any if anybody plays spades, uh, the person keeping the score, right? We always watching mm-hmm. him to make sure he ain't doing what we call pencil whipping. Pencil right, yeah. right, boosting the score, <laughs> right, right. So that, that's basically what they did with uh, the Thirteenth Amendment and those, you know, slave. I mean, uh, uh, Jim Crow laws, man. They pencil whipped us. Right. Where we thought we had a, a, a greater victory than, than what it was. They they snatched it away. Uh, and it could have been. Uh, Reconstruction was a great era in time. But, again, it was short-lived because uh, people in power like to remain in power. And so that, rather than win that presidency, you know, that uh, and pull those troops out of the South, which, which ended Reconstruction, uh, that that's part of that that pencil whipping, man, and it, yeah. it's unfortunate. But again, it gives us. There's a lot of history behind us, but there's so much more history to be made, and we're just in this generation now where uh, we have elders like yourself leading the charge, and you also have some young brothers uh, from different states championing causes and uh, gaining victories and momentum and raising awareness. Uh, you got the young brother in Jersey. Uh, I can't remember his name. Steve-o. Dennis Steve-o. Steve-o. Yeah, De- yeah. Dennis. We got Dennis some young Steve-o. sisters yeah. too doing their yeah. yeah. like, can't forget, can't forget the sisters. Please forgive mm-hmm. me. There's always got to be yeah. balance. There's always got to be balance. Uh, definitely yep. can't forget the sisters. But uh, there are some young people who can't be in the cause. It's not dead. It's not going to die. Um, and I, I think where we are right now. Uh, there are a lot of young rebellious people 
uh, wanting to make change, man, and they just need the guidance of them elders. Uh, so, again, man, I definitely appreciate you being the beacon uh, of hope and light in this time. Um, South Carolina got some issues, man. <laughs> you know, um, first of all, uh, the convict lease system here, I've listened to a recording some years ago from a man who had been formerly enslaved and then went through the convict lease system here in South Carolina. And he was explaining how they would build these log cabin jails and then go out and arrest as many arrests, right? Arrest as many black people as they can find and fill these log cabin jails wherever they needed to put them. They were just popping up because Negroes were valuable in prisons. And so they would get them and then they would send them off to the prisons. And in South Carolina, they built their first state prison in 1866, like one year after the Emancipation Proclamation and the 13th Amendment had been. I heard, I heard, right? you, I heard you say were. Uh, Elder, they, they're still big business, man. Private prison has yes. uh, contracts with the states to where they have to be at a certain capacity. That's right. Now imagine that telling somebody, you know, hey, you can open up this business, but uh, and that's what it is. It's a business for them. Uh, you can open this up. You can open this prison up in our state, mm-hmm. but uh, and, and requiring that it be at seventy percent capacity at least. So right. for you to uh, get that capacity, what what bogus trumped up charges are you putting out there on people so you can maintain that stat? See, you know I got a big mouth, and here in South Carolina, I've used it a lot um, on two occasions <laughs> in particular. Uh, I want to share is uh, one is they had a for-profit private prison here for juveniles from uh, community education centers, which was later bought up by another company. And I discovered that they were charging $168,000 a year per child to incarcerate these children in South Carolina. And this company had came out of New Jersey. It was expanding across the country. We raised so much hell about that, they had to shut that son bitch down. <laughs> I was right there in the office with the CEO. We need, Thank you. We need to know the date. We need to know the date of that if we can celebrate <laughs> that as well. Right. I, I think from some of your research, I learned that in South Carolina, there are 26 prisons in Jewish yes. employing over 7,000 people. One of the largest economies in the state. That's right. That's right. Without these prisons, South Carolina might not be able to exist. Uh, it generates so much revenue every year. Uh, but but the other um, the other occasion was for years uh, they had on the website for the South Carolina Prison Bureau proudly proclaiming that their first prison was built since 1866. <laughs> If you go to their website now, you ain't going to find that. And that's because, again, like, we was raising hell about that. Like, there's so much that was going on here in South Carolina was that, where they were bragging about how they started as slavery. There was this case with the homeless people that were going to make a court and prosecutors and cops and all that just to prosecute homeless people. Remember that one? Right? They was going to turn it into a money-making opportunity. And we shot a nail in that, too. Uh, and, of course, the flag coming down here. When we took down collectively the flag in the capital city of the oppressor's land and had that come down. 
But that even that they were sneaky about it because remember Jamal when the flag came down the first person they handed it to was a black cop. Mm. That's symbolism. Wow. Yeah. Speaking uh, of symbolism, uh, there's yeah. one other thing I wanted to share real quick. South Carolina ha- also has a technical issue when it comes to the Thirteenth Amendment. They never actually ratified the Thirteenth Amendment. Remember, they were the first to secede and the last to come back. So they refused mm-hmm. to ratify the Thirteenth Amendment and were allowed to ratify the Fourth Reconstruction Act in lieu of the 13th Amendment, which technically means that slavery is still legal in South Carolina outside of the 13th Amendment, um, what's going on there. They had it on their own. So that was one issue right there. Remember, Mississippi didn't do theirs till 2014. Everybody was like, are you crazy? South Carolina never did it, still to this day. And that, that's probably why there are 26 prisons. And that's prison. <laughs> That's not including right. local jails, right? And, right? and I know a lot of people don't know the difference between jail and prison. It's a big difference. <laughs> you know, right. your, lo- your local county, you, you might know a cousin or somebody there, but nobody wants to go what they call down the road. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, 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 it's crazy. It's crazy. But, again, every generation has its fight, and this is, this is one of ours. This is one yeah. of ours. We may not see the end of this, uh, but we could certainly keep this ball rolling, uh, keep freedom coming closer and closer and closer. And I, I believe wholeheartedly that at the root of all of the problems that we're facing in this country, we've got to put legalized slavery there. Like it has to be a priority. How can anybody in their right mind deciding that they're a righteous person said it's okay to have legalized slavery at all for anyone? For any reason, uh, and we've never known a day where it wasn't legal. So step by step, we're we're chipping away at that to see what that looks like. Where slavery is not legal in the United States, and South Carolina may be among the last, but it's going to get done. <laughs> you know, somebody got to well, be. I, last. I know. Right. I, I know I'm not the inter- I know I'm not the interviewer, and I'm being I'm the one being interviewed. <laughs> Go ahead, bro. But you mind you you mind sharing the states that y'all have had success in? Absolutely. Uh, Since 2018, we have removed slavery exception clauses from seven states, bringing it up to a total of eight, because Rhode Island did theirs first with no exception in the 1850s. But it started with Colorado. They were the first. Then Utah and Nebraska came in and did theirs. And then Vermont, Oregon, Tennessee, and Alabama in 2022 all removed their exception clauses. Yeah, right. Alabama. Alabama. <laughs> wow. Wow. And I only ask the question for, you know, anybody that's listening who knows me or, you know, who just listening because I'm on or anything like that, uh, or for anybody who's just listening that it is an achievable goal. Y'all not right. just stumping we're not just stumping around in circles making noise. It's an achievable goal. With a long term Mm-hmm. Yeah, not just uh, symbolic. Right now, there's a legion of civil rights attorneys challenging the badges and incidents of slavery in Alabama, uh, who has no exception clauses at all. So change is coming for sure. It may not come as quick as people like to have, but it wasn't going to come at all until we started doing this. That's right. 
That's right. I want to touch a point because it came up earlier. When you were talking about the pencil whipping, when we were talking about what happened during uh, convict leasing and how they were losing records and people were getting sentenced to, say, five months and they end up getting worked to death because they've been there for five years, uh, admittedly, the legislature knows this down in Louisiana where people are making their parole, but it's still taking them three months, six months, up to nine months to get released. So we still have the same situation occurring right now, and it happens all over the place. New York City just had to settle a huge lawsuit because people were getting bailed out of Rikers Island, and they were still keeping them up, you know, to five and six days later. You know, maybe it's because they get $556,000 a year, and they need them to complete that year. Who knows why they were doing it? But, you know, again, Max was just talking about the badges and incidents of slavery, and we have them all around us going on right now. It's for, it's for profit, of course, bro. It's for profit. Um, I, I know there's another organization championing the cause to uh, end cash bail. Just yeah. think how just think how hard some of our ancestors fought to own property, and then you know someone has an issue or whatever, and you got to put up that house for them to you know mm-hmm. what I'm get out and things like that. It's just you know they'll continue to find ways if we continue to turn if we turn blind eyes to it and don't acknowledge these things. So there always has to be champions for the cause, man, and it's it's just an honor to even know people that are doing it. Um, I want to ask you a question. You have a lot of contemporaries. Now, specifically, that Juneteenth has become a holiday, and more than a few of them out there are confused about the issue. They just don't know. And so they are often celebrating as the end of slavery. What would you say as one of the sex successful uh, organizers for Juneteenth, who's able to incorporate this into your uh, events, would you say to them? What would I say to them? Yes. I, I'd say uh, the same thing that I've been saying throughout the show, uh, and that's that, uh, again, Juneteenth is a moment in history, uh, definitely worth celebrating, but it is not. Uh, a celebration of the end of slavery, especially since it still exists in so many other forms. Um, Find any local organizations or national organizations who have mission statements and and are doing work uh, to change those situations and get involved. Educate yourself and get involved, and the more of us that are involved, the better chances of success that we have, will have. And that's it. Just get involved. Don't 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 stay on the, the the computer looking at Facebook, Instagram, saying, "Oh, that's a shame." You have a voice. Get in and get involved. Get engaged. Don't just go on, you know, social media and talk about how bad things are. Find your place in this movement, in in these movements, and uh, get active. A a simple share. A a Mm -hmm. simple share. 
could could shed light on it. So anytime you have the opportunity or to educate yourself on our history and the things that uh, have happened and plagued our community uh, in situations like this, uh, and you find through research that it is absolutely true and, and you can trust that information, uh, do something about it. Do something See? about it because, you know, crying, crying and just, and just praying, uh, just praying isn't going to do it. Um, the right. story, the story of uh, the man by the well, right? Jesus didn't even perform a miracle when he went down there to, the, to for this man, for this particular man. The man had been sitting there for some time, and he just said, "I was, I'm, I'm sick, and I, I, I need to be healed or whatever." And, then, and Jesus asked the man, "Do you want to be made well?" Right? And his instruction to the man was, "Well, pick up your mat." And get up. Any change that that comes in the community is is going to happen when we pick up our mats and get up. So come off the get sidelines, up. get up, get up. And the only way our community is our communities are going to be made well is if you get up and and take on uh, some responsibility for what's going on in them. Man, say a lot of for the people in the back. You got to take right. on some personal responsibility for things greater than yourself. Uh, Martin would Absolutely. once say a man has not lived until he has found a cause to fight for that is greater than himself. And that's what we got to learn to do, to be more concerned with what's happening around us than just what's happening to us, you know, mm-hmm. because we are connected. And the people next to you are probably going through the same issues, and together we can solve any problem. Um, you mentioned edu- education, and we believe education is key, you know, here, especially at Abolition Today. So I want to continue to educate with one more musical track. When we come back on the other side, I want to give you the opportunity to say whatever you want to say, promote the show. Uh, matter of fact, I'm probably going to roll through there. I'll be looking for you. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll roll through and visit you. I mean, travel rain. So you get a chance to say whatever you want to say to our audience. We do have an international audience as well, so people are listening in, in at least a dozen other nations to what you have to say. Uh, so let's okay. go ahead into this clip. It's convict leasing from the book we re- recommended earlier, Slavery by Another Name, uh, and that's going to be followed by Kale featuring Jay Morris's convict leasing. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. Today. For a period of nearly 80 years between the Civil War and World War II, black Southerners were no longer slaves, but they were not yet free. What happened in that period of time was so much more terrible than anything most Americans recognize or understand today. In one of the most shameful chapters of American history, generations of black Southerners were forced to labor against their will. Free black people could be just picked up and put in jail. The sheriff department could sell people to corporations and coal mines. He locked me up for three days. And after that, he said, if I don't go to work, he'll put me in the river down there. People's lives were truly stolen from them. Their freedom was taken away. All the southern states used the criminal justice system to put African Americans back into a position as close to slavery as they possibly could. 
These were real people who were deemed to be of no value. Maybe now, through the telling of this history, these individuals can receive some measure of justice. After your freedom, no jobs available, got you begging and pleading. Police come and get you and lock you up for no reason. Re-enslaved, but they called it convict leasing. Manual labor was needed to plant and harvest crops, steal highways, railroads. It's time to open shops. Companies paid for labor from the state, which was convicts. It was harmless, in fact, the ones they targeted black. That's the struggle of a man working on the chain. Yeah, yeah. That's the trouble of a man, working on the chain, yeah. The was really worse than slavery, Why? Right? Cause with convict leasing, no one even cared if you died. With slavery, if you pass away, they'll lose their investment. With convict leasing, they'll just replace you when death hits. Ages 14 to 70, they will work heavily, six days a week from dusk to dawn. Little food to carry on, some children as young as eight years old was enslaved. Working hard with the grown-up strapped to a ball and chain. That's the struggle of a man. Structure to move goods, rail system, highways, demand steadily coming. The good roads movement secured federal funding. More shoveling, grading, leveling, digging, they dug in. Enslaved blacks built the wealth for the country again. Farmers could transport crops to the market and then manufacturers could ship goods across country. Travel easy now, even today they still work and may give them pennies. Wow. That's the struggle of a man working on the same. That's the trouble of a man working on the same. That's the trouble of a man working on the same. In September 2020, Fort Bend ISD released a 500-page report identifying 72 of the Sugar Land 95, mostly black men, victims of the convict leasing system, who they believe were likely buried in those unmarked graves. Abolition. Abolition. You just heard convict leasing. It was a clip from the Slavery by Another Name documentary, and that was followed by KO featuring Jay Morris, Convict Leasing. Welcome back to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org, with your host, Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan, along with our guest, Jamal Basile Bradley, organizer and founder of South Carolina's Juneteenth Joy Fest. So, uh, who am I passing to, Max? Pastor Brother uh, Jamal, let's go ahead and give him the opportunity to just tell us whatever he wants our audience to know and share whatever information that he wants them to have. Well, um, I, I, I'm glad you said the name of that artist, because I was going to ask you. It's <laughs> like, man, we need him. We need KO him and awesome. some tribal on the stage next year. <laughs> yeah, and, and he's an educator, too. 
Yeah, he's a doctor. Oh, okay. He okay. A, he's a PhD. K H A O. K O. I'm 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 laughing, but I'm serious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm I know laughing, you are. But I'm serious. Uh, 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 mm-hmm. Any opportunity, man, to educate the audience again. It, uh, Juneteenth is a time for celebration, a time for remembrance, uh, reflection, and planning for the future. Um, so we we like we like to use this time for that. And again, yes, you can come have a good time and all of that, but uh, it's so much more uh, to it than just you know celebrating. Uh, and we like to use this time as an opportunity to educate our audience on certain issues that's affecting them, uh, like our home buyer seminar. One in four homes in South Carolina is owned by an African American, um, and that's from information given by the South Carolina Commission of Minority Affairs, one of our sponsors. Uh, and we want to increase that number because we know that home ownership uh, gives you access to financial freedom. You own that piece of the rock, you can leverage it for so much more. Uh, financial literacy, we don't have enough conversation about money. So uh, if you want to join us for those workshops, uh, they'll be taking place on June 12th and 13th. You can go on our website, JuneteenFreedomFest.com, or our Facebook page, South Carolina Juneteenth Freedom Fest, and find that information. Saturday, June 17th. Is the festival, the seventh annual, the year completion. We've been doing this thing for seven years, and I'm excited uh, for it. Uh, we'll have uh, the festival at Sagra Park in Columbia, South Carolina. The address is 1640 Freed Street in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, it's crazy because it's right next to Confederate Street. <laughs> but, uh, and then we'll be... Then we'll be at the Juneteenth Joy Fest Saturday, June 18th at the Colonial Life Arena with Yolanda Adams, Todd Tribbett, Ja'Kalen Carr, Jeffrey Lampkin, John Lincoln, uh, some of Gospel's top artists uh, for the Joy Fest, um, Bridging the Gap, a decade decade of uh, joyful noise. Uh, that's going to be a nice event. It will sell out, so I, I ask everyone to get their tickets now because that event will sell out. And then Monday, June the 19th, the actual day uh, of commemoration, uh, Juneteenth, uh, Monday, June 19th, we'll be downtown Columbia for the Juneteenth Freedom Fest Parade. That will take place on Main Street. If you want to participate, you can register on our website, JuneteenthFreedomFest.com. We want to make it one of the grandest displays of African-American excellence. Uh, that there has been in the South uh, for a long time. So uh, that's it. That's that's us. That's what we do. That's what we're doing. And we'll be doing some more things throughout the year leading up to uh, the next Juneteenth. And I hope that there are some great things, including this work, uh, abolitionist work, that we can celebrate next year. You know, I'm sure. starting to think. I just need to. You, oh, sorry, Max. I was just going to run through the information one more time. If you could give me the name of the park uh, that's at 1643 Street. 1643 Street is Sagra Park, home of the Fireflies, which is a minor league baseball team that operates here in Columbia, South Carolina. It's a good okay. central location, nice, beautiful venue. Uh, we Can you have spell that for me? Because I'm, I'm not familiar with that park. 
I'm not familiar with that uh, park. How do you spell that? S E G R A Segra. Segra Park. Uh festival starts at one PM and it ends at nine PM. Okay, and then on the for the concert, what time is that? Starts uh concert starts uh, I believe doors open at six PM. And again, that's at the Colonial Life Arena. Tickets can be purchased on Ticketmaster.com. Okay. And that's Sunday, June 18th. Happy Father's Day to all of the fathers. For sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. And that's 6 p.m. until when? I guess uh, it's Hey, hey, Yusuf, that's a gospel event. You know, they say uh, when the right, right. spirit is moving. <laughs> until it's over. Yeah, until okay. it's over. And then the last GP thing is the parade. Yeah. <laughs> uh, parade, uh, parade starts uh, Monday, June 19th at 10 a.m. We'll be lining up on, uh, starting at uh, Main and Laurel Street, downtown Columbia. So okay. any car clubs, bike clubs, nonprofit organizations, uh, black-owned businesses, or anyone who supports and appreciates the African-American community, you can come take part in that event. You can come take part in all the events. Uh, we, we invite to uh, educate everyone uh, of, of all backgrounds. We, we just won't put banners up of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to put a bug in your ear, brother. Um, and you know, you heard it here first. But for South Carolina to finally incorporate anti-slavery language into their state constitution and be a part of this abolitionist effort that's sweeping the nation, it might require that you run for Congress and introduce the bill yourself. Mm. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying, you know, you've been... Don't have to answer <laughs> now, brother. You don't have to answer <laughs> now. In the community, I'm just putting it out there. You know what I mean? Hey, I'll I, I, I give you a short one. My name is Jamal Bradley, and I approve this message. <laughs> <laughs> All right? <laughs> if, if, you, if you decide it, to do so, it. know that you got people here that will support your efforts for sure. All across now, the I don't need the 1500 to vote for me. <laughs> That's all you need? But I... Uh, I, I, I think I'll get all kind of things thrown at me if I do that. But, yes, if you run, uh, I believe all you need is 1,500 uh, signatures to get on the ballot. If you decide to do this, let me know. We'll get out in the streets to help you get those 1,500. I know at least everybody right. in my family right here is going to do it. <laughs> you know? right. And I got a lot of friends in town, if you feel me. <laughs> I got you. Okay. Yeah, no doubt. Well, we'll, we'll, I, see. We'll, see. We'll, see. we'll see where the ancestors move me. All right. Um, I, I want to say uh, thank you for being here with us tonight and uh, sharing this discourse for this much-needed conversation. It's good to know that there's people like you out there who have found a way to bring this together um, and not to uh, kind of deny history. And I appreciate your statement to your peers and contemporaries of what they should do, too. I'm looking forward uh, to seeing you on the Juneteenth events and also to having you here with us once again in the future. Yes, sir. Thank you for the opportunity, and I look forward to working with you also. 
Amen to that. Well, we haven't stopped Amen doing that. that. We've been doing right. that since we met. <laughs> what was the House of Hathor? <laughs> House of Hathor, no, right? I, I, I really do. I know, I know it's in closing, but I really do think a panel discussion is needed in uh, South Carolina. And I know some people are tired of discussions, but I do believe this one will lead to action. Uh, if, if, if possible, I'd like to have a state. Uh, you know how the president does the state uh, union address? Yes, I right. like to do the state. I like to do the state of Black South Carolina, looking mm. at all of the issues from different grassroots organizations coming together, and seeing how we can collaborate to affect real change in our communities. And I like to look at that together soon. So, all we would need is two individuals from every county or, or city, uh, from a grassroots organization to come to the table. And we can put this thing together, and instead of it being one voice, it could be many hands making light work. Let's do it. Let's do it, man. And yeah. no black unicorns. No, no black leprechauns. Leprechaun. No black. Oh, well, enjoy y'all evening. I'm at my mom's house. Surprise and chicken right. macaroni. Well, and green. Listen. <laughs> Leave the, you're leaving us, but leave the phone on and listen to the end of the program. Uh, we always bring the ancestors' voices back to life for a new generation. That's where we get our learning from. And tonight we got a special one with Ozzie Davis reading Frederick Douglass about the three blocks, the three boxes. And I, I think you're going to enjoy that. All right. Absolutely. Uh, I'll got, stay on. I, I appreciate being on with y'all. Uh, enjoy your evening. Amen. Thank you, brother. The pleasure is all ours. All right, brother Yusuf, you want to uh, go ahead and make your final comments and uh, yeah, give us man, our, you know, our sponsors and stuff. Uh, it was it was so beautiful having the brother on, man. You know, and he had he he uh, enlightened me on Juneteenth. You know, because you know I've always had just like bad vibes about it, but I see it in a new light now that, yes, it's important to celebrate that moment, you know, and, you know, so, yeah, I won't, I won't speak bad about Juneteenth moving <laughs> forward, you know, I'll speak in it in the light that he gave us this tonight, so I appreciate that from him, but uh, definitely want to thank our sponsors and partners, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, the Iron Wheel Ubuntu, Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network. Tamer Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and the Abolished Slavery National Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash abolition today and our Facebook page, Abolition Today. For all the news, information, and music you hear on the program, follow us on Twitter. We're at Abolition Today, the number one. Also follow me. Uh, I'm you, Hassan Bolden. That's why you. Hassan, H-A-S-S-A-N-B-O-L-D-E-N, and also Max Parthas at M-A-X-P-A-R-T-H-A-S. We put out all kinds of information on our Twitter pages and also Max Parthas' uh, Facebook page. He puts a ton of information out there. And remember that Abolition Today is available on all major podcast platforms. We're in our fourth season, about 17th episode, so we have uh, a plethora of information available to people. They can go to, if your first time listening in, go back to season one, episode one, press play, and just listen on. We have great music like you heard this evening. We have all kinds of information 
and you'll be locked in. Uh, I have a couple of announcements before we get out of here. June, uh, join 13th Forward New York for a rally on June 6th at 11 a.m. in Albany to demand the New York legislature passes Assembly or A3412 to abolish slavery for all, including those in prisons and jails. Transportation to Albany will be provided. There will be a link, RSVP, on our Abolition Today Facebook page. Also, save the date. Next Saturday, uh, that's June 10th, the Abolish Slavery National Network will be hosting an, an open webinar to discuss slavery abolition narratives ahead of Juneteenth. Hear about our work and talk about how we can respectfully remind people that slavery is still legal in and in practice. You can register to that for that event at abolishslavery.us. And finally, Tales from the Plantation Nation, hosted by Samuel Nathaniel Brown, airs Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, 5 Mountain, and 4 Pacific, right here on the Abolition Today platform. Four episodes so far, very deep conversations. You're hearing from people who have served served time, getting ready to serve time, or currently serving time. So you definitely want to tune in to get that perspective. And finally, I'll bridge in the gap. We have this evening just a masterpiece. It's one of my favorites. We have Ozzie Davis reading Frederick Douglass's the three boxes. We're talking about the jury box, the cartridge box, or the ballot box, followed by Black Rage by Lauren Hill. We'll be back next Sunday, June 11th, God willing, with another master class on slavery abolition. So until next week, think about abolition today. Peace to you, Brother Mac. Peace and blessings to you all. Peace. Abolition. It was my good fortune to be present at Abraham Lincoln's inauguration in March 1865 after his re-election as president and to hear on that occasion his remarkable inaugural address. A series of important events followed soon after the second inauguration of Mr. Lincoln, conspicuous amongst which was the fall of Richmond. The collapse of the rebellion was now not long delayed, though it did not perish without adding to its long list of atrocities, one which sent a thrill of horror throughout the civilized world in the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, a man so amiable, so kind, so humane and honest that one is at a loss to know how he could have had an enemy on earth. I was in Rochester when the news of Mr. Lincoln's death was received. Our citizens, not knowing what else to do in the agony of the hour, betook themselves to City Hall. Though all hearts ached for utterance, few felt like speaking. But I was called upon and spoke out of the fullness of my heart. And happily, I gave expression to so much of the soul of the people present that my voice was several times utterly silenced by the sympathetic tumult of the great audience. I have resided long in Rochester, and made many speeches there which more or less touched the hearts of my hearers. But never till this day was I brought into such close accord with them. When the war for the Union was substantially ended and peace dawned upon the land, when the gigantic system of American slavery was finally abolished 
and forever prohibited by the organic law of the land, a strange feeling came over me. My great and exceeding joy over these stupendous achievements, especially over the abolition of slavery, which had been the deepest desire and the great labor of my life, was slightly tinged with a feeling of sadness. The anti-slavery platform had performed its work, and my voice was no longer needed. What should I do? The answer was not long in coming. Though slavery was abolished, the wrongs of my people were not ended. Though they were not slaves, they were not yet quite free. No man can be truly free whose liberty is dependent upon the thought, feeling, and action of others, and who has himself no means in his own hands for guarding, protecting, defending, and maintaining that liberty. Yet the Negro, after his emancipation, was precisely in this state of destitution. The law on the side of freedom is of great advantage only where there is power to make that law respected. The government felt that it had done enough for the former slaves. It had made them free, and henceforth they must make their own way in the world. Yet they had none of the conditions for self-preservation or self-protection. They were free from the individual masters, but the slaves of society. The old master class simply drove them off the plantation and told them they were no longer wanted there. I therefore soon found that the Negro still had a cause and that he needed my voice and pen with others to plead for it. I called upon the government to assist the landless Negroes of the South by colonizing them on lands abandoned by the slaveholders as they had retreated before the advancing Union Army. I urged further that these former slaves be equipped with implements to till the soil and arms to defend themselves. From the first I saw no chance of bettering the condition of the freedman until he should cease to be merely a freedman and should become a citizen. I insisted that there was no safety for him nor for anybody else in America outside the American government that to guard, protect, and maintain his liberty the freedman should have the ballot that the liberties of the American people were dependent upon the ballot box, the jury box, and the cartridge box, that without these, no class of people could live and flourish in this country. And this was now the word for the hour with me, and the word to which the people of the North willingly listened when I spoke. However, regarding as I did, the elective franchise is one of the great powers by which all civil rights are obtained, enjoyed, and maintained under our form of government, and the one without which freedom to any class is delusive if not impossible. I set myself to work with whatever force and energy I possessed to secure this power for the recently emancipated millions. Suffering and worsening Like human packages Tied up in strings Like rage can come from all These kinds of things Like rage founded on Blatant denial Free economic Subsistence survival 
We've known you all were going to be this much trouble. We would have picked our own fucking cotton.